the Doctor Who Flashcast is back for our Christmas special because there is again a Doctor Who Christmas special. It is the church on Ruby Road in the beginning of the Chudigatwa era of Doctor Who. And I am Jason Snell, joined by my fellow unregenerated podcasters, Erica Ensign and Chip Sutterth. Hi, Erica. Merry Christmas. And hi, Chip. Eat the bones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay, so a Doctor Who Christmas special, right? I've, I feel like it's got some jobs to do. I feel mm-hmm. like, in fact, I saw that in, in one of the admin, I think the YouTube behind the scenes, or maybe it was the commentary. I don't know. I, I, I skimmed through some of that. Russell T. Davis at one point says, it's a romp. It's a Christmas episode, and I mm-hmm. and, and I, he's he's talking about doing a song, but like one of the jobs a Doctor Who Christmas special has to do is to be broad and open and fun because it's a Christmas evening special that might be watched by the whole family, people who haven't seen Doctor Who. It's it's not meant to be like challenging and difficult. It's meant to be kind of big. Also, simultaneously, this episode is your introduction to a new era of Doctor Who and a, a prelude to the forthcoming first new series of Doctor Who with uh, Shudikawa. So it, it has some very specific jobs it needs to do. And I, I think that we were talking about how the little three specials sort of had a uh, episode two was kind of just like a mid-season episode of Doctor Who. Like mm-hmm. you can do lots of stuff in the mid-season episode of Doctor Who, the remit is not quite the same as you're on BBC One on Christmas Day. And, like, there's a, there's some rules there. So how do you think they did with the church on Ruby Road? Erica, how, did, they, did they make it? Did they, was, it, was it broad and appealing and a good introduction? I think it was. I think it's interesting because when I, as a hardcore old school Doctor Who viewer, goes into the first full episode of A New Doctor, I mean, the the first thing I want to do is judge the new era and be like, oh, yeah. what is this? What is this one episode say to me about what is coming? And I had to tell myself, even before I started watching this, this is a Christmas special. And like you right. said, Jason, it, he's, it has to do all of those other different things that are not things that a typical Doctor Who episode has to do. So I think using this as a bellwether for exactly the type of show we're going to get is a kind of a silly thing to do. So I was trying not to do that. But I still think that that you can you can use a Christmas special to sort of gauge what kind of a doctor we have because while the episode itself needs to be broad and open the doctor is we hope the doctor. Right. So I found myself really paying a lot of attention to his sort of characterization and and Millie mm-hmm. Gibson's characterization of of Ruby Sunday and and maybe it's because I was kind of ultra focused on them as as a viewer uh, and nerd um, that I think that the rest of it really did succeed in all of those things because it felt um, kind of I don't want to say frothy or fluffy those are the wrong words but light in a way that is fun for Christmas there are stakes obviously like a baby being eaten that's not low stakes but the way that it was 
delivered uh, on a conveyor belt while mm-hmm. they were seasoning the baby um, was 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 funny and fun. And I, I think if I were coming into this not as me and I weren't watching with a laser focus the two main characters, I think I still would have had a good time. And I don't think I would have been confused. And I think that all of the things that needed to be explained to sort of get you on board with what the heck is going on here. I think it was I think it was done pretty well. You had your, you know, your A to B to C, you know, there's a baby left on Christmas. That baby grows up, is a foundling, goes on a show with a person that I didn't know was a real person until afterwards and I watched the VAM and I was like, oh Davina McCall, that's actually a real yeah, person. She was in Doctor okay. Who before. As herself before. <laughs> Okay. See, these are things that I I didn't actually realize. Uh, so I I do think it was pretty successful. Um, there might be people who thought it was too silly, you know, the goblins and the song and all that sort of stuff. But I think on Christmas Day, especially mm. that you know, thinking that we may have a new, broader audience of of kids, especially in the United States, maybe after Christmas, since watching TV on Christmas is not as big a thing over on this side of the pond. Um, I feel like maybe maybe it's going to be a hit with uh, with kids of a certain age. Hmm. Maybe I don't know. I have no kids of those ages or right. any ages or any ages. So I'm guessing. Chip, what do you think? What's your verdict? Starting with verdicts. I mean, we can change our minds as we go. We'll talk about it more detail. But like the big <laughs> the the based on my premise anyway of should be big a big crowd pleaser also needs to establish uh, the show for people who maybe you know establish Shudigawa establish a show from um, little or no knowledge. Before I answer your question, oh, okay. I, need to, I need to reach back into the history of Doctor Who. Long-time fans, mm. long-time fans, old fans, and people who've gone on various pilgrimages mm-hmm. will remember that once upon a time, Doctor Who had a story editor, and his name was Christopher H. Bidmead, and he gave <laughs> us science. Yeah, he used to troll me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Later. Um, it was after. Not while he was working on Doctor Who, because Twitter hadn't been invented yet in nineteen. This is not this is not Christopher H. Bidmead Doctor Who. <laughs> uh-uh. No, it, uh-uh. th- this is the furthest thing from it. it, it um it's it's not, although I want to put a little footnote there because I think that the the fantasy versus science, you know, magic versus science thing is is delightfully present in this episode. But yes, I these are it's a go- goblins with a with a, a, a ship with with like wings that floats above a cloud yeah. is well, what's happening the, the, here. The thing yeah. that was entirely absent from Christopher H. Bidmead era Doctor Who was whimsy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Amen. And JFC, this is full of whimsy. Yeah. Um, so I, I also was sort of having that right brain, left brain kind of moment here. Um, RTD really put Christmas into his Christmas specials. Yeah. Um, Moffat made Christmas an, a strong element of his specials, but I think RTD actually really, really tried to deliver on the classic BBC meaning of the Christmas special, mm-hmm. trying to get you to come out of your food-induced coma exactly, and to pay attention. You've had, you've had some uh, food and drink, and, and you're dozing off, and the TV is on in the late afternoon or early evening, and it, like keep wake them up, keep them awake. And exhibit A of that is Voyage of the Damned, which is a yes. bloody disaster movie mm-hmm. uh, with with humorous moments here and there. But anyway, my, my point being that... Yeah, uh, you are. You're exactly. You, you set this up exactly right, Jason. In terms of the mission of this thing, 
and it delivers it, it it delivers on that mission. I think that's I I think I have to force myself to focus on that mission more so than I did with any of his other uh Christmas specials because he went bigger in certain ways. Goblins and musicals um when I get right down to it that's not my jam but it breaks through the noise and it also signifies that this is going to be a tonally different kind of doctor who you know you've got all of your rtd bombast but as he explicitly says in some of the value added material the behind the scenes on youtube you know the toy maker stuff from the previous uh, special uh, that's opened the door to some non-hard, and he specifically says it. That's why I mentioned Christopher Bidmead. You know, he it, he is he has used the toy maker to open the door to do some less sciency, more maybe magical realism ish, or just just plain more fantastical mm-hmm. stuff than what we've seen in the past. That's not my preferred mode of Doctor Who, but that's a me problem. That's not a Doctor Who problem. Yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that a lot of people, especially people who have never seen the show before, um, might enjoy. And also people who have seen all of the show and recognize a lot, you know, Doctor Who is referred to as science fiction. It's really not. It's not. It really hasn't. It really hasn't ever been. It's always been science fantasy, which is what mm-hmm. a lot of people refer mm-hmm. to it. And I feel like this has now become fantasy science. <laughs> like we've we put the it's fantasy forward science fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, you know, we don't know if that's like I said, this is not a great episode to judge what's actually going to become based on did he do that you know just for this christmas special i'm thinking maybe not just based on some of the stuff that he said in the in the vam but uh, it is a, it is a very fitting thing to do for christmas to to up the fantasy and i think that that yeah the i too would not choose this much wackiness and whimsy mm. and fantasy in my doctor who to normally but I make an exception for Christmas specials, and I'm trying to get away from that mindset where I, I think, oh, Doctor Who should be this way, because there's no way that Doctor Who should be. It can it, it can be whatever it is. And if this is the direction that RTD decides he wants to go, I want to be open to that because I want Doctor Who to continue giving me joy in my life. And I feel like as the crusty old fangirl that I actually am in my heart, um, the fact that the Toymaker showed up from another alternate part of the universe and sort of open cracked open the door to this you know that that being the the watsonian reason that this is okay for it to happen like that helps that helps my calcified crusty fangirl heart and also the other thing that helped a lot that sort of is a as a bit of a carryover from the previous episode is you know we had the the bi generation and we had shooty got was doctor saying I'm okay because you did all of the work to get me to be okay. And then the first scene that we have of the doctor is him dancing with abandon in a club Mm -hmm. with 15 disco balls over his head, wearing a kilt and a yellow tank top and just absolutely loving life in a way that we have not seen the doctor do for a long time, if ever. And then just the next scene that he he's in, 
he says the words "I want to go home," and he's referring to the TARDIS, right. and my heart just like flipped over in my heart in my chest like three times. I feel like those two things: the the toy maker opening the door to to fantasy, and the Doctor having done the work to get to a place where he is more emotional and open about his emotions and coming to terms with it, and being able to experience the type of joy that we hadn't seen for a while like that that really knocked it out of the park for me so it it seemed like the right things to do for a christmas episode so it it all worked yeah i want to say one last uh structural thing about this uh before we start talking about the story itself um I was frustrated a little bit. Uh, This is really nitpicking, but it's important to me as an American viewer. Um, Disney Plus calls this Special Four. Special Four. Special Four. And I hate that on one level because I want this to be the grand introduction of Judy Gottwa to the world. This is not Special Four. This is Story One, you know? Mm. Um, I I really don't want the menu screen to distract from that, but... To detract from that, but um, what we've been talking about, we've been talking about what goes into a British Christmas special. Right. There are some things in this story that are calculated for British audiences, for what's sort of expected from this kind of television story. You know, it may be that episode one of the first Shudigatwa series, which comes to us in May, really is the best foot forward for general audiences in America and maybe the rest of the world. Almost certainly. Um, This this isn't quite it, although, goddamn, I love Shudigatwa in this one, and uh, we'll we'll get into all of that, but um, this is more... This is more epilogue to the old series than I was expecting, maybe. Um, or it is just its own thing because it's Christmas. So I, I'm, it feels on purpose. I um, have been talking about TV for a long time, I realize, on podcasts and mm-hmm. things. So this is a theory that I, I had a while ago. You guys are taking the crusty old fan post- podcaster mantle let me take the crusty old tv podcaster mantle for a second and say sweet one of the puzzling things on. about how television is made is that television is often made at least traditionally these days it's a little bit different because there's usually longer commitments made up front but generally they make a pilot episode and what i always found baffling about pilot episodes is that the pilot episodes are often constructed to show you know every pilot episode is in american television at least is hoping that it will be the first of 200 episodes Right, mm-hmm. 150 episodes. That's and you make your money and you buy your house and you're with your swimming pool and you're and you're good, right? Like that's the goal. And yet, most pilot episodes set up the premise and are not representative of 149 episodes to come. Mm-hmm. They are completely unrepresentative. And I've never understood why you don't make a pilot episode that you can use as episode five. And if you want to introduce the premise of your show, when you get picked up, you make that one, episode one, if you want to. But even then, do you want to greet people with an episode that's not representative? Because they may never watch again. And there are many examples where there are bad pilots that lead to good shows. And it's like, don't watch the pilot because it's not representative. I'm I'm not saying that this was bad because I really enjoyed it and I do I think to answer my own question I do think it works <laughs> as a Christmas special it, I think it does the jobs it needs to do but what I would say is to jump on what you two were saying this feels like 
kind of like the pilot episode of Shooting Got mm-hmm. with Season, where it's the doctor has to meet Ruby Sunday and meet her family and learn about her backstory. And that's going to come back. It's not like it's non-essential, but if somebody tunes into season one, episode one of Doctor Who in May, they're going to get the show, right? I mean, yep. it, he'll be introducing her and saying, we're going to take you on a trip, which will explain it to the audience, too. But the bottom line is, he's already met her. They're the stars of the show. They're in the TARDIS, and they're going to go off on an adventure, right? Like, I can guarantee you, episode one, they will travel in space and time and have an adventure, because that's what the show is. And they won't have to do what this episode did, which is he has to he has to meet her and explain, and she walks around the TARDIS. And those that's all fun, right? But it's not... I kind of feel like you don't need it and maybe even don't want it if maybe your best foot forward with a brand new viewer is here's the show. This is what the show is every week. It's these two people traveling. That's it. How'd they meet? Oh, well, there's a special that explains that if you want to go back. And you should if you like this, but you don't need it. This is the show. These two people in this box. So by that logic then, um, and I think I'm with you. The best way to kick off the first episode of New Doctor Who is a viewpoint character um, being confronted with a police box and the Doctor and Ruby Sunday walk out of it. Yeah, could be. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. or they're in the TARDIS and he explains, here. it's a time machine, here's how it works, now we're going to go somewhere and they step out and they're there. I, well, I mean, we'll see what they do. Russell D. Davis has undoubtedly thought about this a million times over like... 50 years right like he's i think this is probably yes. the thing he's thought about the yep. mo- single thing he's thought about the most in his entire life <laughs> but he to, did say to do this he did say uh and i've mentioned this before that the start of the new season is going to be when the disney marketing really really yeah. kicks in mm-hmm. makes and sense to that end to that point i think that this is special for and i think that they did the disney plus is absolutely right to call this special for because it i think it is more like jason said kind of more of a piece uh you know with those earlier things and we do want the disney plus viewers to just you know if somebody's stumbling upon it maybe stumbling upon episode 1 of season 1 is the is the right way to go so i'm I'm all for it and in in a few years we may all point to this episode and say start here i think this is an excellent start here episode Mm -hmm. but i can also see the appeal of starting you know we're talking a lot about an episode that's not airing until may but like starting with the premise (laughs) already in hand i I mean obviously they're going to explore there are some loose threads about ruby sunday about her her parents um the Mm -hmm. fact that this episode davina mccall literally is like you know, I, they 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 soft pedaled it a little bit, but literally, it's like we ran your da- DNA through twenty three and Me and found that you have no relatives. That's weird, right? Like that's mm-hmm. weird, and obviously to be picked up later. And the the unseen mother who walks away, and the doctor doesn't go after her, and we don't know anything about that. And then we we also get um, the other mystery that Russell T Davis says will be addressed eventually, but he puts it that way, and you know they're already. Who knows what he means by that? But there's Mrs. Flood, the nice old lady who watches everything from the street. Well, she's not that nice. She's mad at the one guy for putting his police box out there, and he's not. It's not him. Um, he didn't do it, but she yells at him anyway. <laughs> at the end, she l- literally looks at the camera and says, "Haven't you seen yep. Tardis before?" And uh, what's that about? And the answer is mm, y- later, right? So there's going to be some threads, but like, if you want the pure, like, hey, what's I- I'm thinking of watching the show? What's it like? Episode one is going to be what it's like. The yeah. Christmas special is not going to be what it's like. 
Yeah, there's even threads from the other specials, the other Disney Plus specials, because we had, you know, uh, somebody say, you know, oh, the creature with two hearts. That's rare. The boss would love to hear about this. We don't know who the boss is yet. So, like, there are definitely some things that are going to be coming along that people could could, you know, want to go back and learn about. But I I do agree that uh, episode one, which I was hoping for April, May, fine, I'll wait. But uh, I'm really excited. (laughs) It's going to be be here before Before you know know it. It will. It will. So let's let's talk about Shudigawa. Um, I do want to talk (laughs) about goblins and singing goblins and all of that, too, and and science and magic. But we got to start with Shudigawa. Um... I am an old an old person, so I learned about the word Riz from the story that it was the word of the year, and I'd never, literally never heard it before. <laughs> and yet, unbidden, about 20 minutes into this episode, I thought to myself, ah, Riz. That's, um, that's what it is. That, hey, I learned I, about I, I the word you. because somebody told me that they learned that it was the uh, word of the year. Oh, you're even like, older. What's that word? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but but um, so I think if one of the questions is... Does this special establish the new Doctor as, one, a dynamic, interesting character we want to follow, and two, recognizably the Doctor? I'm going to take out my big marking pen and go, (laughs) check, check, because, and and all of us old school fans have seen how you introduce a new Doctor in so many different ways, and there's so many brilliant ways to do it, and there's some weaker ways to do it, but like, in my mind, there is never a question. Like, when he's dancing and you're like, wow, I've never seen the doctor do this. Is this the doctor? Is this what the doctor is now? But, like, the moment he starts talking to people, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, it's him. Right? Like, he's got it. He's he, He's got it. This is absolutely the doctor. And uh, that we, you know, a version of the person we know in that he's got his sense of adventure and curiosity and, and all of those things that we and, and intelligence and 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 he's analytical but he's also emotional like there's a lot of great stuff rolled in this character as portrayed by Shudigawa you can see the connection check that box and the other thing is like is this character uh someone I want to follow and oh huh, yeah I mean oh, yeah. I don't know if I, I I don't know if I can follow him he's moving so fast but <laughs> I will try I will I will run through a wall trying to follow this guy because he's got it like I I it's just one of those things where you you see it and you're like oh yeah yeah, I, I I I get why when he walked in the door and auditioned for the part, they're like, yeah, yep, that's it, that's it, because it is. They they got him, and I've seen him in Sex Education, right? And he's great in that. But then I see him in this, and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Like I liked him in that, but in this, it's like, yeah, he he's he's got it. He's absolutely got it. I have always struggled with youth in a doctor. So I thought I thought Christopher Eccleston was, yeah, that was okay. And then David Tennant came along and then Matt Smith. And I just, I feel like I am very happy that I had those experiences of struggling for, you know, two to five episodes before I got used to those guys as the doctor. Um, and So that when it came to Jodie Whittaker and then Shudi Gatwa, that I didn't have quite as much of a of a struggle with that amount of of youth and riz and vim and vinegar and like all of that stuff because wow this is he is like you said running through a brick wall like that's exactly what it felt like I would it, I would have to do in order to keep up with him because he is just 
everywhere. He is so fast. He's an action star. He's dancing. Yep. He is excited. He is it's just like th- this episode just moves. You know, there's, a, you know, you have some calm for a few minutes. And then after a certain point, it's just bam, 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 bam. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that I ever struggle with with a new doctor these days is just, especially since I'm getting older and the doctor's getting younger. And that just seems unfair. Uh <laughs> It's 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 weird to me having seen so many decades of doctors, many of them being older and loving that. And now I love this, but I love it in such a different way that it always takes me a little while. But I feel like I have where it took me multiple episodes previously to sort of get over that and be like, okay, no, no, this really is the doctor. I feel like I had it before the end of this episode. Which is a nice change. So thank you to to David Tennant, to Matt Smith, to Jody Whitaker for prepping me mm. for the awesomeness that is Shudigatwa. I'm ready. So when I watch Doctor Who, I I forget how old I am. I am uh, you know lucky. Uh, David, I mean uh, Peter Davison was my favorite Doctor uh, when I was a kid. I've always sort of gravitated towards the younger Doctors. Um, yeah, but when, I was a kid. He was old right. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> when I started w- watching the new Doctor Who, I gravitated more toward David Tennant than Christopher Eccleston, um, in part because you know one day later after the debut, we find out that Christopher Eccleston's going to be one season and done. But, uh, but Tennant had a bit more joie de vivre um not just younger but brighter and um felt more happy go lucky to me i thought i had seen a doctor with joie de vivre before <laughs> and holy cow um so yeah shudigat was young but he's also powerfully emotive and the range of emotions that he is allowed to portray uh, through this script and through, through this through the special joy sadness loss he's going through a lot of the same things that the 13th doctor was made to feel a lot of it built on the same experiences but Russell T. Davis and Shudi Gatwa and uh, who was the director this time? Mark Tondurai? Yeah. Mark Tondurai. Um, working together, they're letting the doctor feel things and demonstrate things and be affected by things. This is the most emotionally dynamic doctor I think we've ever had based on, you know, one full episode. And... I'm really here for that because it goes back to, you know, RTD said the toy maker allows him to do fantasy. Um, the by generation allows us to have a, 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 a at least somewhat healed doctor, yeah. certainly a more expressive doctor. Um, and I'm just, I'm just really excited to see all of the things that Godwin can put into this thing because I feel like, uh, the, the the safety rails are off. Uh, there is no governor on this uh, bus engine. He can he can move, and he has demonstrated that he can move. Yeah, that dance scene that I mentioned, like it was, I I got a little bit weepy just being like, oh my gosh, the doctor is able to to 
do this and just let go and have fun. And that's wonderful. And then my heart broke a little bit because I was like, I want I want David Tennant mm. <laughs> and I want Matt Smith and I want Peter Capaldi to be able to dance that same way. And they never got to. But, well, but now the doctor can. Yeah, this doctor can. Uh, arguably, those previous doctors may not have wanted to. Um, but that's the thing. They but, Part of the yeah. reason that they may not have wanted to was simply baked in because of the, the trauma. And Peter yeah. Cavalli got to, you know, play awesome guitar solos, though. So mm-hmm. There you go. It's that's true. A- but can you imagine what he would have done if he would have been, like, this healed? Right. <laughs> it would have been amazing. It's, it's, yeah. And, and as the producer who set the I'm the last of the Time Lords Gallery was defeated in a terrible time war and now it's just me and I'm very sad uh, it's interesting that Russell T. Davis here is like nope <laughs> nope nope but he but he is sad I mean but it's not lonely God you know when when he has when he has those moments when he actually starts crying when he um when um uh, he and Clara are talking about uh, the missing Ruby Sunday and the the stuff about uh, fostering children and being alone yeah. and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, broken Tenant is, uh, or, or Broken Eccleston, you know, Lonely God, uh, yeah. quiet, yeah. angry, things like this. What, what Chudigawa um, has is, is emotional range, whereas those guys were just bearing a terrible secret and... Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. responsible for the death of their entire race. And oh, it's so right. And that's like, I, I just, it's not fair to say that David Tennant's era was just the animated GIF of him crying in the rain. No. <laughs> but. And yet. But the, the, like, and, I, and Russell T. Davis planted that with the whole Time War story. I mean, it was, um, on the one hand, it was. Let's not have the Gallifreyans around because they're a mess. And it, it, I thought that was brilliant. Um, and also sort of like it gives the doctor this kind of pathos of of like the lonely God, like you said, Chip. But um, he's just doing something different here, right? And, and it's not to mean that there aren't going to be things loaded up on this doctor. But the point is it's kind of a clean slate for this doctor yeah. to accumulate what he's going to accumulate. And that's a great moment, you know, post-reset button, essentially, to say, okay, we're going to start from scratch with this guy. And I think the difference, too, is that he is feeling the emotions that he's feeling now because he is actually dealing with stuff. Yes. Whereas before it was like, you know, hide it, hide it so much that I have Bury forgotten it. that I was ever the war doctor. Whereas now he is recognizing and talking about the fact that he was a foundling and he was abandoned and uh, and then adopted. And, you know, so that that scene is, you know, he's he is crying and he is feeling things. But at the same time, he is he is thinking and he's trying to work things out it's it's like the tears that are coming are just so natural they're just bubbling up from inside him because he's feeling these feelings that make sense to feel in the moment and he's also being the doctor and doing that doctory thing where he's like hmm what's going on what's happening what's what's what you know to a certain extent part of the design of the character of the doctor over the years has been to be a little remote a little alien a little off off course whether it's because early early television was a little more buttoned down um or because that helped that helped create you know the lonely god kind of thing um 
we get some clues of just how alien Shudigatwa's doctor is in the way that he responds to the goblin ship and the goblins themselves. And, you know, just, uh, you know, this is still a character that cannot help but be delighted by discovering new alien technologies, even if they're evil, even if they eat babies. <laughs> you know, um, so the other thing that I'll be looking forward to is because RTD knows that the doctor can't just be another guy or woman or non-binary character. Yeah. The doctor does have to be alien in some way. But what we're getting with this episode is it's not going to be a Spock situation. It's not going to be mm-hmm. a, um, you know, uh, I am I am hiding things from you. I'm going to be manipulative from you. I'm going to hide my feelings from you. He may have he he may be hiding things and he may be manipulative, but he's not going to pretend not to feel. Hmm. Yep. Well, so I I you know. I was already excited. The first special even convinced me that this was, you know, the show was going to be able to do something really special when it came back as a regular series. And then spending a whole episode with Shudigatwa, it's like, yeah, okay, he's got it. Like this is this is going to be something to to watch a season of and see how they they play this character out over time. In in terms of this episode's storyline, um, we we mentioned it. So goblins are the bad guys? Goblins, not Daleks, not Cybermen, not Centaurans. Mm-hmm. Goblins. And where do they come from? I don't know. They got an airship, and they have rope-based technology, and uh, yep. they steal a baby. And the, and and the they plot, ride the the waves of time. They ride the waves of time, and in fact, that that the plot that that um that I think Chip mentioned before a fairly simple plot. The plot is the goblins the goblins steal a baby who's a foundling, and when they're thwarted, they. St- go back in time and steal another baby who's a foundling uh and and then they're thwarted again the end basically is how that works uh enough to hang this story on because there are twists and turns and we're learning who ruby sunday is and who her family is and what her story is and and so there's a lot of richness in that it's russell t davis doing uh companion families which i'll just point out wasn't a thing very much at all until russell t davis came in and said no mm-hmm. the the companions have families and when they go away it, it can matter and and it's been a, a trademark ever since so we get a lot of that um but it's the it's the template that we that we use to have some action and adventure uh, and and a, a fun. It's not their first meeting, but it's a fun sort of like professional context meeting where she's holding on to a the bottom of the rope ladder of the goblin <laughs> airship, and he's running along the roof line and jumping onto the roof ladder or the rope ladder, and then gives her one of his um, gravity gloves or whatever they are that are basically uh-huh. like it's like a like a, a a psychic paper sort of situation where they can make it lighter or they can make it heavier and. And uh, and then so so that's the story we get, and there's fun adventure in that, and 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 gadgetry and stuff, and the new sonic screwdriver, which kind of looks more like a remote control, um, a little flatter. Um, but the goblin thing, I mean, we do we get a song, including a verse that is sung uh-huh. uh, by the Doctor and Ruby um, <laughs> as they're trying yep. to delay and plot their escape with the baby who's been stolen. Uh, which is, I'm sure there are, oh my, I'm sure the number of 
is nothing sacred fans out there whose heads exploded <laughs> in that moment. I'll just, I mean, they put music into Doctor Who before, maybe not quite like this, but they certainly have. Um, like uh, Christmas Carol, um, she sings. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They hired a singer to be that part. Uh, Kylie Minogue is in Voyage of the Damned. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's plenty of examples. Gunslingers. Of this. Eh, well, oh, oh boy, the, that's <laughs> the you're, you're kind of, yeah, gunslingers. Not as bad as people say, by the way. Just throwing it out there. What if you've only read like Peter Haining's book and it's the worst story ever mm-hmm. made by Doctor Who? You should watch it because it's not that bad. In fact, it's mm-hmm. actually kind of funny. Um. Anyway, so not talking about Serial Z though. Talking about a Serial Z. Sorry, uh, British and Canadian people. <laughs> talking about music and uh it's silly and funny and and what i think what makes that song okay for me also is how bizarre it is cuz it is goblins on christmas day saying hey everybody we stole a baby yum yum let's cook up the baby and eat it we can eat it for days and that is going out on disney plus and bbc1 on christmas day and that to me that's what makes it so fun is that it's bananas it's just like it's not stayed in any way it is the monsters on doctor who are singing a song about how they're going to eat a baby it's wildly diegetic and musical ish at the same time yeah um you know i have missed the uh i'm I'm way behind on strange new worlds so i have missed the musical episode of that which as i understand is straight musical straight up yeah Straight up, straight. Mm-hmm. It's straight musical. Uh, Very much it's, like it's, like the magicians or the Buffy musical. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is you know the, the 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 music is in scene. The Doctor and Ruby Sunday are improvise their uh, their chorus lines right. in a way that really wouldn't work in the so called real world. But you know, it's kind of both. Uh, it's kind of um, it's, it's kind of both. reality. It, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You're right. They're not singing. It threads the needle in the sense that they're not singing something that you think that somebody would make up in the moment, but they're also not singing the words to this song that was written for them because they are interrupting the song but singing their own verse in it. Like it's a it's a weird kind of imposition that they're doing there where, you know, we're we're meant to think, you know, they're they're singing they've taken over the song because they're going to break out of this place and steal the baby back. I absolutely bought that those were lines that you would just improvise. And maybe that's because I come from a family that would just break into song for no good reason and make stuff up. Like the, the, the lines that they sang and the delivery, especially from, uh, I think it was especially from Millie Gibson really felt like this was her character in the moment being like, okay, I have to make up some rhymes uh, and, and I'm going to do it. And, and the doctor being the doctor is so clever that coming up with a few things that rhyme is not a big deal. So to me, it really did read like they were like, yeah, we're about to, we're about to blow this popsicle stand. Um, uh-huh. Let's take over this song. And yeah, I'm just going to spit out whatever rhymes pop into my head. And that's exactly what they do. So I, I felt like it worked really well because it did not it felt like not not that I did not feel like the lyrics previous to them bump, jumping in were particularly great. It was very, you know, the Goblin King, yeah. the Goblin King is going to eat this baby. Like, it, you know, we're singing what we do. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's it. But I did feel like the, the lines then that they were like, they felt ad-libbed enough to me to, uh, to really, really work. And, and the fact that they apparently did not do ADR, they just, they sang them 
in the room in the moment, yeah. boom mics and everything, and that's how it was delivered. I, I just it, it really worked, and I was I listened to a few seconds of that song earlier because like it's topping the charts in the UK of Christmas music, uh, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to hear this song. I'm going to just turn it off. I will wait and experience it yeah. in the moment in the show, and it was so much better that way. So I'm glad I did. So yeah, I'm I saw it I on I, I saw it it in you on YouTube. Uh, which did the whole sequence up to them uh, falling from the ceiling. Right. Uh, and I don't think I was well served by that. I think nope. it's better in context. I will say, so my complaints about it, I don't think the lyrics are particularly great. I think that there's a lot nope. of sort of putting the first phrase of a, a sentence at the end in order for it to rhyme, which is sort of cheating and not very uh-huh. clever. I think there's a lot of that in there. I'm... Um, I'm disappointed with as good as the goblins, I think, do look. Um, there are many shots where we are seeing literally the character who is the goblin who is singing the lead of the song. And mm-hmm. it's not even an it's like they didn't even attempt to get that character to match what's being sung. It's like it's <laughs> it's just not very well done. I'm sorry. They there are moments where she she moves her mouth and it seems like she matches. And then there are other moments where uh, the song is going on, and it's like the the lips are just sort of moving a little bit, and it's like I don't even know what you're trying to like cut away or don't show mm-hmm. her, but like either she needs to sing the song or she needs to not sing the song. But I, I don't anyway. So I think there are a bunch of things where they their um their uh reach exceeded their grasp. I guess is what I'm saying. They they tried, yeah. and I don't think they entirely succeeded. Also, the logic of the fact that they're singing "Follow Me Here." A song about how they're going to be able to eat for three days because there's a baby, which is is baby is not very big, um, but then then they're just going to feed it to the uh, aren't they just feeding it to the Goblin King? Yeah, so, I will say the song makes sense because they they're talking about using the baby as ingredients for other things. If they were going to do what they say in the song to uh-huh. start with, then yes, you could totally eat for three days because you've got all those delicious baby ingredients to make all the different things scones or scones depending on yes, how you pronounce them. That was a good joke. Um, but yes, but then they're talking about, no, we're just going to, like, there's a conveyor belt and they're seasoning the baby and they're just going to, like, it looks like it's just going to go straight into the Goblin into King's the mouth. Into the mouth of the Goblin so, King? So yeah, you are right, Jason. That does not, it does not track. Right? Like, I, I, so I don't, I don't really get that um, other than, so, so what I'm saying is, I think there's actually a lot about this that's very fun and clever and I, I love that the Doctor and Ruby uh, kind of hijack it, um, but I also think that a lot of it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, Would you like to hear my headcanon for for why the song is that way? Yeah. It is the Goblin so, King chooses whether he wants to eat the baby or not, and then if I mean, he if he's hungry, he eats the baby and he he is happy. And if he's not hungry, then he might choose to share the baby. That was my headcanon. That is that is decent headcanon. Mine ties in with the Doctor at some point before the the Goblin King has been revealed with the Doctor kind of hearing that gong and being like, "Ooh, I I was kind of wondering whose ship this was." That makes me think that there are other ships that don't have the Goblin King on them, ah. that there are ships with just goblins, and I that see. song is the standard song, standard song. that Dining is sung song. on the other ships where they use yeah, they baby use the, the the baby parts, yep. And then okay. they added the the verses and the bits about the Goblin King because this is his ship. So that's uh, okay. my head canon. All right. I I okay. Got it. So, so while we're on the goblin ship, though, I, I think that that I this is where I wanted to talk about the science fantasy elements that we mentioned earlier. One of the things that really sells it for me is the show and Russell T. Davis are saying 
Some, and I think the implication is some episodes will have more fantastical storylines and some mm-hmm. won't because it's still Doctor Who, different genre every week. I, I think that's still the case, but that he feels a little freer to do things like put goblins in an episode. Okay. So the show and the writer are like, we're going to do more fantastical things. The way it's executed by the writer is brilliant because our main character is the Doctor. He is the the star of the show, a long-running show that usually has some sort of scientific element even in it. It might be hard science, Christopher H. Bidmead, although even then some of his hard science was nonsense. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a very serious hard science writer, and yet some of his stories were nonsense. So anyway, or, or stories that he story edited. Um, he can troll me if he wants to, because he has before. <laughs> um, and and, and uh, so other times there, it's nonsense, right? Other times it's science, but it's nonsense. It's nonsense science, but it's in a scientific mode. It's like, imagine yeah. if this was a thing in science uh, and I'm going to use it to solve this problem, which is where you get your science fantasy from. So what's great about this episode, I thought, is that the Doctor is explaining the context of magic, basically, to Ruby Sunday from the perspective of science. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not magic, right? It's not magic. It's rope-based technology. It's <laughs> they're using coincidences as... Uh, a line through time and and they build and and they retroactively like he's coming up with scientific answers and scientific logic method to fantasy stuff and that i really enjoy it because it's almost like Mm -hmm. this is a character from a science fiction show who when when presented something fantastical will insist on breaking it back down into science and that seems very doctor who to me so i i thought that that was really effectively handled where it isn't just the doctor going oh yeah they use magic whatever but he's like no it's not magic it's just science you don't understand and that's that makes me feel a lot better about it it, it's basically Clark's third law. Any sufficiently exactly. advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes. And then you just have the doctor being like... Or you know, goblins. Like this, yes, you have the bickery scene with the doctor being like, you know, she's like, we have to go get the baby. He's like, I'm learning the language of rope. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yeah. In order to... So that's, and yeah, and I agree. That's Jason, the, Exactly. Those those lines about the, the coincidence and making good luck versus bad luck and right. all of that, I thought, was, was exactly what you just said. The, the perfect amount of science talk to pave, paper over the, uh, the fantasy setup. It was great. Yeah. Honestly, it reminded me of uh, what the MCU did when uh, they released Doctor Strange and they had to sort of start easing the concept of magic into a uh, science fiction superhero universe, you know, the some hand-waving about, well, if this, isn't, this isn't really magic. Uh, of course, uh, a few movies on, they they said, yeah, it's magic. That That's not going to happen with Doctor Who. No, I don't think so. Probably not. I don't think so. Um, by the way, when I took my shot at, uh, at Christopher H. Bidmead, I was especially referring to Warrior's Gate, which is... Uh, a fantasy story. Sorry, if that's what it is. Anyway, um, and then there's one with vampires. Anyway, the science, hard science of vampires, though. Um, They've got castles in them. Come on, come on. Uh, yep. So, so yeah, the the I'm okay with it, right? Like I'm, uh, and, I, and we've talked about this on many occasions in the past. Doctor Who is this uh, the genre machine? The idea that it is a an anthology series, but with an ongoing 
uh, set of main characters, which is very special and unusual. And mm-hmm. and that one, one of the things that makes it great is that it can do different kinds of episodes and different kinds of genres, and that's okay. In fact, perhaps it's even preferred. And so having Russell T. Davis on Christmas Day kind of turn up the volume on fantasy and whimsy a little bit, like he's he's putting down his cards, I get it, but I'm okay with it because I, I don't know if I would want, and I'm sure Erica would not want Doctor Who to become like a steampunky fantasy series, oh, right? No, please no. That would be the worst thing for Erica ever. I don't think that's I mean somebody somebody would enjoy it and that. I would be happy for that person, right. but I would but not be happy. I, I don't for think me. we're in danger of that. I think that there may no. be um episodes that that push some of those buttons, but I think that they will be contrast with other episodes. Did you Erica get a little bit concerned about the fact that there is a a, a floating a, an airship in this because that was it felt a little steampunky to me that I was not worried because it was goblins and rope <laughs> I did not see a monocle I okay. did not see a top hat All I right. saw no steam no steam uh, there were some punky looking uh, goblins but All that right. was fine because the airships is like you're re- really verging on steampunk at that point it could be dangerous could be dangerous. It's it's the thing about steampunk that I dislike is more the society as opposed to the the ships themselves. Flying ships, that's fine. Okay, you know, we're we're cool. All right, the monocles and the top hats, not so much. <laughs> yeah, look out. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um. All right. What? So you want to talk about the ongoing mystery a little bit? Um. I want to talk a little bit about Millie Gibson first. And okay, just let's see. Yes, let's as, talk about Millie Gibson, who's in Coronation Sunday. Street, which Americans don't really know, but she is. Uh, she is Ruby Sunday, and um, and then Ruby Sunday's got a family. She's a. She's, so so yes, go ahead, Erica. I did not know what to think because I mean I have to say from the trailers and stuff I was like oh it's Billy Piper Mark Two. <laughs> And because I didn't know anything about Billy Piper either, but everybody in in England did. Uh, And I didn't know anything about Millie Gibson, but everybody who watched Corey, which is also a lot of people in Canada, um, Mm. also did. But uh, but not me. So I didn't know. Uh, I think she's just she's delightful. But I feel like I need to see more from her to get it's sort of like the second episode is with the companion is always the one where I actually make real judgments about the companion. Well, it's the pilot the introductory thing, right? story. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Here, here we're just, you know, meeting her. She doesn't get to yep. be, she's not really a doctor who companion quite yet. No, but she does have like, you know, every companion has a moment where at least to me, I sort of recognize, okay, this is it. This is the thing. And in this one, it was the moment where she figured it out. She's standing in the room and she's being like, he said something about going back and saving me. And then he mentioned that thing about Houdini, which was super gay, which I loved. Um, And she's like, she's working it out and she figures it out and she throws the coat on and she, you know, runs out the door and to find, you know, him and the TARDIS. And then the TARDIS door opens and I'm like, is that the doctor opening it or is that the TARDIS opening it for her? I wonder. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, her the fact that she, uh, I think the very first thing is just the fact that she climbs up on the roof and jumps onto a ladder to try to save a baby. Yes. Maybe not everybody would do that. And then the fact that she figures it out. I think those two things were really key companion material moments for me so i think that in addition to her just being a kind of a, a cool fun nice person who loves her family and is is a, just a neat gal uh she's also companion material too i didn't know what to expect um uh, 
when Millie Gibson was introduced, I saw some of the early coverage, but I kind of, I was kind of holding Doctor Who press at arm's length there when that happened. So I know a lot of people were thinking of her the same way that you did, Erica, as mm-hmm. uh, as Billy Piper, Rose Tyler, Mark II. Um, the more I watched this, the more I got a Clara Oswald, uh, Jenna Coleman kind mm-hmm. of vibe in the sense that there is a mystery about this character. Yep, yep, yep. Now, uh, some fans... Uh, weren't big on Clara Oswald because they called her a mystery box character, a problem to be solved rather than a character. Whether or not that was true when Clara was, it was uh, not. introduced, and it was, it was by not. the time certainly by the time that we got to uh, Capaldi season two, um, it was that was a character that had just transcended all kinds of stuff. I don't get the sense from this that Ruby is going to be a character to be solved. Certainly, unless RTD pulls something um, towards the end of the first season, the Doctor is not treating Ruby as a puzzle the way that Matt Smith's Doctor did initially. Um, so I'm not so still, far. Not yeah. so far. I'm. I'm. I'm sort of. I'm sort of reserving judgment. I saw nothing to make me think that Millie Gibson's a bad choice for this or that Ruby Sunday is going to be a bad character, but I don't have enough information yet. I would argue that that this doctor kind of, you know, he's not treating her like a puzzle to be solved, but I honestly, I never really felt entirely that Matt Smith's doctor was doing that either. I feel like they maybe laid it on a little more thick there, but here I think we're, I think we're getting the same thing. He, he runs into her in the bar. He follows her. He recognizes that there's goblins coming. Like, what's the deal? He's, he's confused uh, about like, Ooh, you know, the, the coincidence of you being a foundling and there being a foundling here and like all of that stuff. I, uh, I would not be surprised if we get more of, 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 of that sort of puzzle box treatment later on. And I would also not be surprised if the people who are annoyed about it in the Moffat era are not annoyed about it here just because it feels a little bit different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, clearly this is this is part of her storyline is that she's not just a random person off the street. She mm-hmm. has a very particular mysterious backstory. And, that it, you know, this episode could have said, no, it's really not that mysterious. But the way it's played, it clearly is mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so... Uh, I will also throw in, yeah, she seems she seems good, but we will obviously need more time. Uh, but she seems entirely capable. Um, I'll also point out to all those people who said maybe she is Rose, you know, Billy Piper, Mark II, um, that Millie Gibson was a year old when the new series premiered in 2005. <laughs> she is a child of the wilderness years. I hope you feel old now. Uh, Crumbling to dust yep, now, Mr. Snell. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she she although I will put it this way with with her and Shudigawa to a certain extent but certainly with Millie Gibson she is actually bringing in a new era of people on the show who grew up watching the show. Yep. It's just Yeah, a, she is the age, you know, she she's not a 28-year-old cast to play an 18-year-old. She's like 19 years yeah. old and that's that's right. Yeah. So she she probably caught some Matt Smith 
when she was in a formative age. Oh, yeah. Age. She's, she, when in one of the background things that, you know, they're asking both of them. And he was saying how, like, she got what had gone back to watch some of the, the classic episodes and, like, really just get a feel for the character. And she just, the, the way that she, she was so blasé about it. She's like, oh, yeah, I watched the show. And, like, I feel like it's different with a companion because, you know, the doctor's the doctor and the companions are all different. Like, she just made it sound like it was just a part of her life. Like, TV show. That's just part of it. Yeah, the actors and the characters have great chemistry with each other, though. Um, I mm-hmm. really enjoyed that. Um, the Ruby's enthusiasm and her she's a, she's a woman of action. Um, I like that she, as as we said, you know, she figures out the Doctor's deal, um, but she's also you know she's also kicking at the door uh, while the doctors trying to translate ropes um <laughs> she's you know she she figures out to grab a ladder and go for the roof and to uh go after the goblins um she's got you know th- there's that word again agency you know mm-hmm. um she's a companion with agency and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it uh but i she's got a deal i want to know what her deal is we also see how special she is just to the world that she lives in because we get a little bit of that, you know, it's a wonderful life. It's a you know Christmas carol. What would the world be like without Ruby Sunday in it? And it's, you know, that particular apartment is really dim and sad. And those lives yeah. have been very much improved by her. So we get right in her very first episode, we get to see how uh, how good and it, it, how good she is for the people and the world around her, which is nice. So my headcanon about companions is that the doctor tests for pe- people yep. the doctor meets get tested in and, modern who anyway not in the classic series uh, yeah smith and jones smith and jones yeah so the idea here is she okay she jumps first off he's following her so he's already intrigued by what is going on she's a a, a person of interest in a case that he's <laughs> yes. working right then she jumps on the rope ladder, and as he's running along the roof line, he basically says, who jumps on a roof ladder, right? <laughs> like, and, and why? And it's like, well, the, they took the baby. And it's like, okay, so check, good. This is looking good. But at the uh-huh. end of the episode, he just goes down to the TARDIS. And mm-hmm. that door opens, and yeah, there's this question, like, did he open it? Did it, the TARDIS open or whatever? But like, I sat there thinking, well, this is the test, right? Uh-huh. They, they, you, he's lingering. Is she curious enough? Can she put the pieces together as we see her do about the, the, that he, you know, I mean, he wasn't super subtle when he was like, no, 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 no. Time travelers are great. They're awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, but she does call back to, they says, oh, and he said, talked about time travelers and, 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 oh, and when was Houdini? That was like the 1920. What? And then, and then goes down. Uh, that's the test, right? Like the test is, I'm going to linger here a little bit. And if you're companion material, you will come and find me. And if you're not, then I'm just going to move on because he meets all sorts of people, presumably, most of which we don't see and are not companions. But in this case, she passed the test. So I, mm-hmm. I, I always enjoy seeing those kind of moments, which is like, you know, he's not just, yep. he's not just parked down there waiting because he's got to do some paperwork before he takes off, right? No, like, he's posed when she walks in. Yeah. He's leaning. Yeah. 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 And the thing that I really love about this is that this isn't a sometimes you need someone to stop you no. doctor. This no. is a doctor who arguably doesn't need a companion, but wants one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Exactly. Um, and 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 then uh, next door neighbor Mrs. Flood watches them go. What's the deal with that? What's what's any theories about that? Because she's she's pretty it's present. Not effing Susan. She's pretty. She's got a TARDIS blue door. She's pretty present during the episode. Like I noticed her before, and I'm like, what's up with this lady? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is an actor who would be very very well known. It, it's Anita yeah. Dobson. Um, but she's from EastEnders. Yeah, but uh, in this sort of like, I, I don't know if she's. She doesn't seem like super villainous but she certainly no. seems like there is extremely more to the story than um than we know now and i'm fascinated that that this is yet another little thread that has been planted for future storylines here uh because you know she's watching the tardis she's out there watching the tardis the whole time so what mm-hmm. i took out of the out, out of her story arc and it, uh, i had to watch it a couple of times just to see if i was hol- holding it together I think that she was genuinely upset at Abdul because she didn't re- realize that the police box was a TARDIS mm-hmm. until it dematerialized. And yeah. light bulb, wait, that's a TARDIS. I know what this guy's deal is. Um, so she does see him go into it, right? And then nods uh, Ruby into it. So at that point, maybe she's clocked it, even if she didn't know before. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when she, when he, when he pops, when he pops in, yeah. I think, I, I, I want to say that the TARDIS moved at one point before. Anyway, I oh, it was think on that, her side of the street, and then later it's on the other mm-hmm. side of the street. Yeah, exactly. it, it, she and she drops her groceries when she sees it de- dematerialize right in front of her. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So she knows something's up. She's she's not the Ronnie. Probably She's not, not Susan. Probably not Susan. Certainly not Susan. Yeah. If if, if she turns out to be Susan for some reason, I'm going to be very upset because this is so. yet again another five doctors so, where you have the doctor and Susan here, not interacting here, right. Here are my here are my theories. These are baseless theories, but I share them now Great. in the spirit of podcasting. <laughs> Theory one is that she's a character who meet, who met the doctor in the past. And and we might even see in a in a future episode, right? And there will mm-hmm. be that kind of wraparound character that's happened a few times in Doctor Who. She is uh, so that's theory number one. Theory number two is that she's um, Ruby Sunday, who gets left mm-hmm. behind in the past and is now a lady who sits and, who lives next door to herself, which is weird. It's weird, but you know, I don't know. Singing and goblins. dangerous. Weird and dangerous, yes, but you never know. Uh, yeah, or or she is some other former person touched by the doctor's life. This is vague, a more vague theory, but somebody touched by the doctor's life in some way that we haven't learned about yet, um, but that is going to become important uh, down the road, either in the past or in the present. I, which I think is like a very broad, but probably most likely. I I, I really don't want it to be. That living next to Ruby Sunday all these years is a is a you know is the master or something right like I don't I don't want that I, to be it. I would be okay if it was a different time lord that is somehow still alive. Chip, I want to say thank you for for doing that extra legwork um, and double checking those things because yes. yeah, I I I too thought that she was legit upset about a police box being there, and the fact that she she is the only person on screen 
when she drops those groceries. So that makes me think that she as a character is genuinely surprised to see it dematerialize. And I think maybe you're right. That's the moment where the penny drops and she's like, oh, that Uh wasn't a police box. That was a TARDIS, which would mean that she maybe isn't somebody who had contact with the doctor because then how would she not like why would she not recognize the the TARDIS immediately as a police box. Right, right. So maybe maybe it's literally somebody who has a relationship with uh, another Time Lord that is not the yep. Doctor. Yeah, or this yeah. is another Time Lord, not the Ronnie. Or but yeah, you know, sure, it's Drax. Like maybe she's yeah. uh, been been um, exiled to Earth for her crimes. Mm-hmm. That that's a thing they do apparently. Mm. Bring that but- hashtag justice for Rodan. <laughs> But, you know, side note, that that gets at one of the few grumpy things I had about Fugitive of the Jadoon, the reveal of the Fugitive Doctor, that the buried TARDIS looked like a police box. Yep. Tar- you know, uh, TARDISes don't have to look like police boxes. Nope. And in this case, I really don't think that she thought that this that this police box was one. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. interpretation. I, I really like that, that she only later after she sees it moving does she realize, oh, it's a TARDIS. I know that. Mm-hmm. And why does she know that is the mystery? But but yep. she doesn't recognize it as a police box. That's very internally consistent. I like it. I like it. We're, mm-hmm. we're zeroing in. Yeah. We're zeroing in. We need more evidence, which we're not going to get. And Russell T. Until Davis May. said it's a slow burn. So it's like season two, late in season one. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I also think that very clearly, I, while she's not a problem to solve, I think that Ruby Sunday's parentage is going to be surprising and uh, clearly as part of a story because she has no relations that that le- leads me to believe that she is f- a baby from somewhere else um and it may just be My- like some other planet or some other time mm-hmm. but i think I, I i'm gonna go out on a limb and say she's still a regular human being just one with a complicated backstory if she's a ganger i'm gonna flip some tables mm. <laughs> probably not. i mean she she had a dna test so she's got you know, DNA. Nothing came. Nothing came back to say like, "Oh my God, you're not human." You're not human. Just, no. You don't have any, yep. You, you just have don't have relatives. any relatives. Mm-hmm. My my first thought, and this is, I'm sure, probably not right, but my first thought was that it was actually Ruby Sunday as we know her now that was dropping off baby Ruby Sunday at the Could church. Be. But that doesn't entirely fit with the doctor's uh, voiceover narration at the beginning, which says, "And her mother left her there." So, I mean, maybe yeah. that's unreliable narrator, and the doctor thinks that right now, and later learns that's not Does... the case. But I don't know the way she walked. It just, I don't know. It that oh. that person walked kind of like Millie Gibson. Yeah, but it still wouldn't explain like who the mother is, unless she's her own. No, mother. we would still need to find we would That'd still need to DNA find that I, oh, please do not make her her own mother no that's not what i was meaning at all Parth- no genesis um now i don't know if somebody can look this up but like i didn't the opening voiceover say something like nobody knew who left her at the door until a time traveler uh, appeared on that night i don't I don't know about that. Mm. I, I know for sure that the doctor specifically, his voice voiceover says yes. her mother left her um, at, because I was looking for it the second time that I turned it on. And I was just like, oh, it says specifically her mother. But I don't I don't remember the very, very beginning, even though I watched it twice. Right. Yeah, I don't remember anything like that, but I could be wrong. Well, we'll see. I, it's a, I, I'm OK with the companions having little mysteries. I didn't oh, feel sure. like the I doctor was fated to meet her. Um and she is a, just a she seems to be just a person 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. And, you know, I was honestly okay with Clara too, even though that was a case where she got Same. the number from the mysterious woman who turned out to be Missy. Is Clara was still Clara, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, in the end, what have we not mentioned that we should talk about in this episode? Murray Gold. Ah, yes. Murray Gold. There's a lot right. of him in this episode, isn't there? There's was so much Murray Gold. I guess. I don't know. I didn't notice. I don't pay that much attention to the music. To me, this just felt like a Doctor Who episode. And I mean, the the song itself stood out. And to me, it stood out as a song where it's like, yep, this is a song where the lyrics were written by the showrunner and the music was written by somebody who is not a pop songwriter who scores TV shows. But that was the only part that I actually really noticed the music in. So take it away, guys. (laughs) Uh, The running criticism of Murray Gold was either of him or of uh, the sound mixing folks uh, back in the day was that the music was so loud and bombastic that you couldn't hear the dialogue. Um, I kind of felt that this time. Um, Again, heightened Christmasness. But the last three specials, were nice and warmly nostalgic for me. This one, I was like, I really wish we had a different composer. Honestly. I had a moment. Um, I don't mind Murray Gold at all, but I did have a moment when I realized what I was expecting from Murray Gold because I was looking in the Doctor Who... Um, oh, what's it called? The the behind the scenes that's only available on iPlayer, which I... Um, I had my my uh, Doctor Who unleashed or something unleashed. Like that. That's what they're calling it. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I had my people uh, in Britain report back. I, I don't. I I obviously <laughs> couldn't see it, but I had my spies report back. And uh, when you're there, there's a scene from the first episode of the season. They put a little scene at the end of the episode, like how Star Trek does. It. It's the, it's a standard thing. What I realized is. If you're if you if you're scrubbing through trying to find that scene, like my brain told me what I was supposed to expect if I had hit that scene, and I realized my brain was expecting completely bombastic Murray Gold music. That like the difference between a behind the scenes thing and a clip from an episode is the clip would be wall to wall with Murray Gold music. Um, I like Murray Gold. Sometimes he's a lot. I mean, I, I guess that's the end of it. Sometimes he's a lot. Somet- <laughs> sometimes sometimes lot. I think maybe yeah. he does he does a little too much. Um, and this this felt a little like that. I loved Sagan Akinola on series 11 through 13. He would not have been the right person for RTD Doctor Who. He especially would not have been the right person for this episode. But it was a lot. It was a it was an awful lot, and I think I think Murray Gold minus ten dB, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I was also searching. I feel like there was there was not uh, as strong a. This is the new Doctor's theme. I felt like yeah, I got I more of that at the like end that. of last episode than I did of this one, um, and I think it's just sort of waiting for that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe that's, you know, and maybe that's just, um, my, my, my feeling about this one in a nutshell. This was 
this was a lot of RTD. This was a lot of Murray Gold. And this was a lot of Christmas. And I hate thinking of myself as wanting it. the dials turned down a little bit. It makes me doubt myself. It makes me feel like there's a Chris, Christopher H. Bidmead in me trying to get out, and that terrifies me. Um, but it was a... It, it it was a lot, and it's it's not quite what I want for the regular series when it comes back in May. I I will be interested to see if it is if you know a lot of things were big and bombastic because this was a Christmas episode. Was the music part of that, or is it just going to be all bombast all the time? We will find out in May. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it until May. Unless there's mm-hmm. anything else we need to address in the meantime. I'm quite sure that certain podcasts like Verity and Two Minute Time Lord will be able to expand into things. We've got we've got to do something to fill the next five months. I suppose so. <laughs> Those are podcasts that don't tend to only release an episode when there's a new episode, but instead also we'll talk about things at other times, which I find fascinating as a concept and foreign. <laughs> Um, but yes, dear listener, we are going away until the new series starts in May, but you can tune in to Erica and the many other wonderful people that are on the Verity podcast. You can tune into Chip. It's just Chip at the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. <laughs> and I believe this episode comes out before Radio Free Scarrow this week. So, you know, yeah, they're that's doing an it obscure, tomorrow. your husband's obscure Doctor Who podcast, Radio Free Scarra. <laughs> yes, little known. After Canadian you've listened podcast. to this one, obviously, you could pick that of course. one up if you wanted. Yep. All right, we'll be back in May. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Chip. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Thank you. And Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Doctor Who flashcast only in-